Amen. And so, church, we can sing those words and we can believe them in our heart that we can be content in every single circumstance because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, it's time for our children's message. I want to invite our kids. Any kids in here today? Y'all come up here. All right. Hey, bud. Hey, Ava. Come on up here. Have a seat up here. It's time. All right. There you go. Hi. Addison's making her way over here. All right. Soon she'll be walking over here. How are you guys doing today? You know, we're approaching Thanksgiving, right? And Christmas. And all kinds of really fun things happen over the holidays, don't they? You know what one of my favorite things to do over the holidays is? Get together with family. Do you guys like to be together with family during the holidays? What are some of your favorite things to do with your family during the holidays? Eat turkey. I love turkey, too. Can you make a turkey noise? Okay. Thank you. What's your favorite thing to do over the holidays with family? Um, I think I... Uh, eating turkey. Eating turkey as well? Or Ari? Staying up and playing, Staying up and playing games? You guys play a lot of board games, don't you? Sophie? Oh, Secret Santa, yep, doing the present exchange, that's fun, yeah. Hanging out with family, right? We love our family. One more, go ahead. Giving other people presents and gifts. That is so much fun. We love our family, don't we? Hey, don't we love the people that God gives us in our families? Like our mommies and our daddies, aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas. What, what do you call your grandma? Gigi, we got Gigi's and Papa's, Mima's, Nana's, Mom's, Wita's. Yeah, they're great. We love our grandma and grandpas, right? We love our family. And God gave us our family. Did you know that? But I want to tell you something that maybe you forgot or maybe you didn't know. Did you know that God wants us and all people to be part of his family? Did you know that? Did you know that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And then he said, if you believe that Jesus died for you, if you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you'll be forgiven of your sins. And you know what the Bible says? You'll be adopted into the family of God. You get to be a part of a really special family. And by the way, that family is really, really big. Did you know that? There's people a part of God's family all over the world. Did you know that? And did you know that we have a special mission? When we follow Jesus and we're adopted into God's family, you know what God wants us to do? Yes. He wants us to tell people that they can be a part of God's family. Did you know that? And so we have a special mission. We're supposed to tell people, God loves you. And did you know that you can be a part of God's family? And so today, the word of the day, it's actually a whole phrase. You ready, Abijah? It's family of God. It's a long one. Family of God. Can you remember that one? All right, family of God. Remember, our mission from God is what? 
tell people about God's family. All right? All right, thanks for coming up. You guys can go sit down. All right, I want to invite the rest of you to take out a copy of God's Word with me this morning and turn it to the New Testament book of Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. It's so good to be a part of the family of God and to be in this place with you this morning, worshiping Him. Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts chapter 14 have continued on in their missionary journey. You remember they were in a place recently called Pisidian Antioch, not to be confused with the Antioch church where they were sent from as missionaries. This place is further to the west, north of the Mediterranean Sea. They had gone to this place called Antioch and shared the gospel and had mixed results there. Many, many, many people in Antioch heard the gospel, both Jew and Gentile. They turned from sin and they trusted in Jesus as Lord. But there were a group of people there, very powerful people, who wouldn't turn and believe in Jesus. And their hearts were hardened against the gospel and they did their very best to make sure that Paul and Barnabas left town. And so Paul and Barnabas, following the leadership of the Lord, left Pisidian Antioch and they moved to a new place called Iconium. Iconium was about 90 miles southeast of the city of Antioch. It wasn't an easy place to get to. It was surrounded by desert and difficult terrain. It was an interesting city. It was both full of Jew and Gentile, full of uh, Fergians who had been there since ancient days. It was full of Greeks and Jews. It was also full of Romans, and it was currently under Roman control. But it was a plateaued city about 3,000 miles above sea level where everyone kind of gathered and lived and did their trading and their working. So Paul and Barnabas go to this city full of all different types of people, called by God, doing what Paul was called by the Lord Jesus to do, which was to go out into the more populated Gentile cities and to tell them about Jesus. And now when Paul would go into one of these Gentile cities, he would first go to the synagogue so he could preach the gospel first to the Jews, and then those among that group of the Jews and the God-fearers who heard the gospel and believed, Paul would gather around himself and continue to teach. And then Paul would take the gospel to the Gentile people who didn't necessarily gather in the synagogue, and, and he would tell them about Jesus. And so this was the New Testament pattern that Paul established in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so now Paul and Barnabas have left uh, Pisidian Antioch, and they've moved into the city called Iconium. And what we're going to see first in these first three verses is that God empowers gospel preachers. And that's important for you to hear and for all of us to understand. Now, when I use that term, gospel preachers, I'm not talking about the preacher that stands up here on Sunday mornings behind the pulpit, although I am a preacher of the gospel. But you too have been called by God and given a unique and special mission to be a preacher, a proclaimer, a speaker, and sharer of the gospel. And so you too, when you go out and you tell people about Jesus, you're also empowered by God to tell people about what Jesus did for them. And so let's look at our text. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. 
It says, in Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So Paul continued his strategy of preaching the gospel as he was called by Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit to do so. He first enters the synagogue and preaches the gospel to the Jews. Now this makes complete sense. The Jews were God's people, if you've read about them in the Old Testament. You notice that they were the ones called by God to follow him. They were the ones who would have read in, in the Old Testament and especially in the prophets about the promised Messiah, the one whom God would one day send to save them. And so it makes sense that Paul would first, when he has this message about Jesus the Messiah, that he would go to the synagogue and he would tell them about Jesus. That the Messiah for whom they've waited has come. And that his name is Jesus. And that they can celebrate. And so he would first go to the synagogue and tell them that message. Now there would also be God-fearing Gentiles in the synagogue who anxiously awaited God's movement in their lives. The people gathered in the synagogues when Paul would enter a city would be what we would call low-hanging fruit. These were the folks that knew Yahweh, that would have been taught from his word, the Old Testament, the ones who would have looked forward to the coming one day of the Messiah. And so it made sense that Paul would go to them first and tell them, hey guys, the Messiah for whom you're waiting, the one about whom the prophets spoke, like Isaiah, he's come. And his name is Jesus. And so now you can celebrate because your Messiah has come and you need to turn from sin and trust in Jesus as your Savior. And thus, after hearing the gospel and receiving Jesus as Savior, they would have taken God's desire for them, that next step of following Yahweh by following his Savior, Jesus. And so after entering the synagogue and proclaiming the gospel, the good news about Jesus the Messiah to the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, Paul's next step in preaching the gospel would be to enter the gathering places in that city. So he would then leave the, the synagogue area and go out into the marketplace. And if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see Paul doing that regularly, standing in front of the people, out in the streets, in their marketplaces, proclaiming Jesus as the unique God of this world who created everything and who came to save them from their sins. You see, many of these people that Paul would interact with knew nothing about God. Many of them probably worshipped hundreds, if not thousands, of false gods. They would have lived in ways that were abhorrent to the Jews. But God made them a promise. God made all people a promise that anybody who turns from their sin and believes in Jesus will be saved. And so Paul also told them about Jesus, because they have the opportunity to be saved as well. When Paul and Barnabas shared the gospel in the synagogue, according to verse 1, many Jews and Greeks believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Why did that happen? Why did God call them? Why did they repent of sin? Why did they believe the gospel message? Because Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. Because God desires for the lost to be saved. But, 
Not everyone believed in Jesus. Not everybody received the message that Paul had to share in the synagogue. Verse 2 says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Now this is a common occurrence when people share the gospel. Those who do not receive the message and reject Jesus often become opponents to the evangelist, the one who shares the message. Romans 5.10 says that we are enemies of God's before we have a relationship with Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Philippians 3.18 and 2 Timothy 3.12 both say that many, many people will stand against Jesus and actively persecute His messengers. In fact, church, all of humanity... Every single person on this earth is engaged in a spiritual battle. And when someone rejects the gospel, he or she declares allegiance to Satan and his evil world system. Thus, gospel rejectors, those who walk away and turn from the gospel, are in opposition to God and to His Son, Jesus. There is no neutral ground on this battlefield. You either receive the gospel and follow Jesus, or you do not. And when you make that choice, you choose to be on one side or the other. That's why it's almost never, ever enough for a gospel rejecter just to turn away from Jesus. That person often desires to prevent others from hearing the message about him. That's what's going on in the synagogue at this time when Paul and Barnabas are sharing the gospel. We shouldn't be surprised to hear that the unbelieving Jews attempted to make the Gentiles dislike, distrust, and hate Paul and Barnabas. That's what happens when the gospel is preached. It's like a knife. It cuts into our heart, into our very soul, confronting us with our sin, challenging us to make a decision. But Paul and Barnabas' reaction to this persecution is epic. It's absolutely epic. Look at verse 3. Paul and Barnabas go into the synagogue. They preach the gospel. A lot of people are believing. A lot of people are saved. There's also a group of people that will not believe, that will not repent, that will not be saved. What do Paul and Barnabas do amidst this opposition? Do they tuck their tails and run the other way? Do they silence their mouths out of fear? Are they afraid? Do they leave? Do they stop preaching the gospel? Did they use this as an opportunity to to move on and do something else? No, look at verse 3. What do they do? So, many, many people were saved. Many, many people rejected the message. There's dissension. There's persecution. And this is what they did. Verse 3. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord. These guys are epic. This is awesome who testified to the message of His grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. Did they run? No. 
Did they complain? No. Were they afraid? Wasn't shown, their fear was not shown in their actions. What'd they do? They dug in their heels, they put their heads down, and they got to work. They dug in their heels, they put their heads down, and they fulfilled their mission. And they weren't alone. The Lord Jesus showed up. He ministered through them, using miraculous signs and wonders as evidence that the message that they preached was legitimate, that they were, in fact, sent by God to tell this gospel message about Jesus, and that Jesus was, in fact, the legitimate Messiah. Sharing the gospel can be difficult. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. It's not always enjoyable. I think about it like this. Have any of y'all ever used a metal detector out on the beach? Anybody in here ever used one of those things? I've done it a few times, or maybe in your backyard or whatever. I've used it to find screws and nails and stuff, too, and, you know, in the driveway. And I don't really like it very much, because to, to do that, you've got to take this thing on the beach and just, like, sweep it back and forth for a long time. I mean, you're not like, you know, when you do it, I'm, I'm expecting to like turn it on to go about 10 feet and then to find like a bar of gold down there, right? That's what we want, right? You turn it on, put the batteries in, you're moving like five feet later, beep, beep, beep. Oh, there's a treasure chest full of valuable things right here, right where my beach towel was. That's what we expect. And then like 45 minutes later, you've got like, you know, like a bottle cap and you're like, wow, that was pretty awesome. I have a bottle cap, you know, from last weekend when someone was here at the beach. Sometimes sharing the gospel feels like that, right? Like we're, we're sharing and we're sharing and we're not seeing a lot of fruit. Well, we don't share to get fruit. We, we share because that's what God's called us to do, right? So we're, we're winning, we're obeying God, we're receiving joy from Him just by telling people about Jesus. So that's the fruit. The sharing is the fruit for us. It's up to God to draw people and lead them to salvation. But once in a while, once in a while we get the sweet, sweet opportunity to lead someone to Jesus. Once in a while we, we come across that valuable treasure in the sand I don't know if you guys remember this. I was just thinking about this. I don't want to embarrass these two ladies, but I'm, I'm going to apologize later. Uh, just the time two years ago, we were at, the, at a hotel pool with the Berlangas, and, and we were in, in a, a season uh, at the church of, of training for evangelism, so it was really on all of our hearts in a unique way, and we were swimming, and, and Darlene just sort of like got up and walked over to this lady, and started telling her about the Lord. And I know the Berlangas had a, a relationship with her already, but Darlene was compelled to do that. She got up and walked over there. I'm like, what is she doing? Okay, she's talking to that random lady over there. And all of a sudden, I see her get out the, the three circles material and start sharing the gospel. And that lady, on the spot in the pool area that day, receives Jesus. Right? Amen. That's good. Let's clap. Let's give Jesus a hand. Yes, it does happen. And then about a year and a half, two years later, Camila, who's the lady who received Jesus that day, she's standing before you all, 
She had already been followed through with baptism. She's singing on the team up here, serving in leadership, testifying about Jesus and how Jesus changed her life and saw her through some pretty difficult seasons. Don't forget that, okay? That's the fruit of sharing the gospel. That's why we share the gospel. To be obedient and to participate in God's work of adopting people into his family. So even while you're sharing and you're hearing no and you're being persecuted and people are ridiculing you for for telling others about Jesus, remember that there are people outside these doors that need to hear the gospel. There are people outside these doors right now that when they hear the gospel, they will be saved. But they need to hear the gospel to be saved. And you are the appointed people. We are God's appointed missionaries, ambassadors, messengers to go out and to share the gospel. Our mission is Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus is very clear. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he didn't just send us out on a mission. He equipped us with power and authority to fulfill the mission. In Acts 1.8, he tells us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And and church, if you're a born-again believer today, the Holy Spirit has come on you. You have him living within you. And he's given you access to the power of God to share the gospel, and to see people saved. And when you go out and you share the gospel in obedience, some will reject the message, but many, many people, like Camila, like us, they will hear the gospel message. They will receive Jesus. Their lives will be radically transformed. And so we've got to dig our heels in. We've got to put our heads down. We've got to get to work. The Lord will do tremendous things through you when you're obedient to the call to share the gospel. When we go out and tell people about Jesus, the gospel message causes division. And that's what we're going to talk about next. Look at verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. Why on earth did the message of the gospel divide the people in Iconium? That, that's really strange, right? Like, it's a good message. It literally means good news, right? Like, go into a place, tell people about Jesus. Why on earth would that divide people? Notice that the division was not along ethnic lines. Paul and Barnabas received persecution from both Jews and Gentiles and support from both Jews and Gentiles. So if the people were divided and it it wasn't in accordance with ethnicity or race, then what was it that caused the division? It was the gospel message. It was this message that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we're broken and that, and that are, we're, we're separated from a God who loves us because of our sin. And that because of that, we're all going to go to hell. 
But God, in his great love for us, sent Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, received the wrath of God on our behalf. His blood was poured out as an atonement or a covering for our sins, that he was buried in the ground. And on the third day, he rose again, conquering death and sin. And that all who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior will be forgiven and reconciled with God, adopted into his family and saved. That's the message. That's what divides people. That's what divides our hearts. Jesus said that he and the gospel message about him would cause division. Look at Luke 12, 49-53. Jesus said, I came to bring fire on the earth, and how, and how I wish it were already set ablaze. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how it consumes me until it is finished. Do you think that I came here to bring peace on the earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. What is it that causes division within families and tribes and cities and even entire countries when the gospel message about Jesus is proclaimed? What is it? The gospel causes division among groups of people because it requires people to make a radical decision. To repent of sin. To leave an old life behind. To follow Jesus as Lord and Savior and to dedicate our new life to Him with complete and total obedience. First, the, the message of the gospel calls us to repent of sin. In Acts 2.38, Peter replied and said, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Matthew 4.17 says, From then on Jesus began to preach, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repentance involves recognizing and turning from our sin. That's offensive, isn't it? So to follow Jesus, we are called first to recognize that we're sinners. That we make mistakes. And that God holds us to a higher standard of righteousness and we cannot do that on our own. The gospel divides because it challenges us to leave our old life behind. Luke 9.62 But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Philippians 3.13-14 says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. 
So the gospel divides us because we have to leave an old life behind and pursue a new life that Jesus provides for us. The gospel divides because it challenges us to follow Jesus and not the world. In Matthew 16, 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In John 15, 18, and 19, Jesus says, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Finally, the gospel causes division because it challenges us to follow Jesus with total obedience. In Luke 14, 15, or Luke 14, 25 to 27, it says this. Now great crowds were traveling with him, so he turned and said to them, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now Jesus, of course, is not calling us to hate our brothers and sisters, our mothers and fathers, um, our own children. What he's saying there is that we are to put our allegiance and following of Jesus above every other single relationship. To be a disciple of Jesus means to follow Jesus first. And anyone or anything that stands in the way of us following him on the path of righteousness that he has laid for us must be laid aside. The gospel with its call to repentance and self-denial, radical faith and transformation is either a brilliant truth full of grace and love and eternal hope or it's a stumbling block. And that is why it divides even the most intimate relationships. It cuts to the heart of every person and connects those who receive Jesus in a way that no other relationship can. That is why the sharing of the gospel simultaneously leads some to anger and hatred and compels them to silence the message, while it leads others to radical transformation, joy, and this desire to tell other people about it. Now back in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas experienced both types of reactions to the gospel. And the gospel rejectors ultimately gathered together and formulated a group that forced them to leave town. Look at verse 5. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding countryside. And so the groups were formed. Many people heard the gospel, repented, and believed in Jesus as Lord. Many people rejected the message, and just rejecting Jesus was not enough. They formed groups in order to gather the politically powerful people, and they persecuted Paul and Barnabas to the point where they were led by the Spirit to leave town. I've seen this happen in families. I've shared the gospel with, with a whole family at a time. 
And I've seen the family divided by the message. I've seen some joyfully receive Jesus, had their lives radically transformed. And the same people in that family, whether it was a husband of a saved wife or the wife of a saved husband, at the very same time reject the message, turn away from Jesus. Jesus caused division in his own family. While he walked this earth, even his brothers did not believe who he was. The gospel even pierced Mary's heart, his own mother, as she struggled to both be his mother and his disciple. What will we do about this? Should we stop sharing the gospel in light of some kind of worldly unity? Should we go along and get along with everybody else? No. Our mission is clear. Our calling from God is to share the gospel. Should we make the gospel less divisive, maybe? Maybe take out words like sin and hell. Should we make Jesus out to be some kind of cosmic friend who loves everyone, who will take everyone and bless your life however you want to live it? No. We're not the ones who get to decide what message is proclaimed. That's the king's job. The king decided what the message would be. We are the messengers. We are the ambassadors. King Jesus told us what to say. And we say it with love. But we clearly proclaim the message of the gospel. And so we should go out and share that message in the midst of tremendous persecution, in a world that does not necessarily want to hear it, we will find the diamond in the rough. We will share that message with the person who desperately needs the hope that only Jesus can provide, and their life will be saved. They'll be radically transformed, and they'll have a testimony to share with others. And so in the midst of the difficulty of sharing, we must keep preaching the word. Well, what did Paul and Barnabas do? So they came up against very difficult persecution. The people of the city gathered together. They ran them out of town. So under the threat of death, what did they do? Well, they went to a couple more towns they found a nice hotel room. They kept their heads down. They thought maybe well, this is a season of silence for us. Let's just worship together. Let's keep this on the down low. It's a little hot here right now. Is that what they did? Look at verse 7. What did they do? There they continued preaching the gospel. That's what they did. They didn't change the message. Paul was one of the most brilliant men that lived on this planet. Did you know that? The Apostle Paul, scholars today, Bible scholars, believe that he was an exceptionally brilliant man. If anybody could have manipulated the gospel to make it easier to hear, to gather bigger crowds and more friendly to the world, it would have been Paul. But he didn't. Paul stayed true to 
to the legitimate gospel message about Jesus. This is what he wrote about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not come to know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks ask for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. They kept sharing the gospel. They kept telling people about what Jesus did, about who Jesus is, and about what Jesus will do in their lives. Even though Paul and Barnabas had their lives threatened, often they continued to share. If anybody was justified in maintaining silence, in running from persecution. I think it was probably them. And yet they didn't. They dug their heels in, they put their head down, and they fulfilled the mission. Paul and Barnabas lived a lifestyle committed to telling people about Jesus. Do you ever read about this? And it almost seems like they're superhuman, right? Like, You read that and you're thinking like, there's no way that I could do that. What would compel two people to, at the risk of their own lives, to forsake everything they knew and loved and to follow God into this mission field and to tell people about Jesus, even at the threat of their own lives? What would compel them to do that? It was because their lives were radically transformed by Jesus. They couldn't keep silent because of what Jesus did in their lives. Even if they wanted to, they couldn't. This is something that had been integrated into the DNA of the early church. In Acts chapter 4, the apostles are sharing the gospel in Jerusalem. And and they're, they're accompanied with, by God's power, signs and wonders. So people are being healed. There's amazing things happen, and this is a demonstration of God's power that Jesus is who they're saying Jesus is. And so, Jews are starting to be converted to Christ, and the religious leaders don't like that. And so they bring the apostles in, and they're going to make this threat that y'all better stop sharing this message, or we're going to arrest you, or something worse is going to happen. This is their answer. It's Acts 4, 18 through 20. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. 
We've been given the same power from God that those guys had. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have the same message, the Great Commission, to tell about Jesus. We have the same authority to declare it. The same opportunity to invite people to repent and follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. All of those things we have just like them. And so we too should fulfill the gospel just like them. Has your life been radically transformed by Jesus? Just lift your hand. Anybody in here, has your life been radically transformed by Jesus? Like, can you remember what it was like to be lost? Hopeless? Helpless? Unable to fix that circumstance? And what did Jesus do? He came into your life and he brought hope. He reconciled you with God. You're adopted into the family of God and you're a part of this family, the church here on earth. And the world tells us that we shouldn't be telling people about Jesus because the gospel message divides people. It confronts us with our sin and we don't like that. It judges us. We should instead keep our mouths shut and go along and get along with what the world says we're supposed to do. And our response to the world should be this. We cannot help but share what Jesus has done in our lives. Because I was once dead and now I am alive. I was once separated from God and now I've been made to be born again and reconciled with Him. I can't keep my mouth closed because Jesus changed my life. And so we need to leave this place today empowered, encouraged, and prepared to fulfill the message. That mission that Paul and Barnabas shared even at the threat of death. The gospel message unites and divides, and it's our mission to share it. It unites broken lives. It unites hurting families and hopeless people. It divides the people who hear it because it confronts our hearts and draws a line in the sand. But it must be shared. Because God desires for the people out there to be in his family. And so we're going to have a time now of invitation. I want to invite our team to come up. In a minute, everybody's going to stand up, and we're going to respond to whatever it is that God's doing in our hearts. What I shared today was the gospel message about what Jesus did for us on the cross. If you've not yet received him as Lord and Savior, when everybody stands up and we start singing, I want you to come down here. Don't be afraid. Take a step of faith. Come to the front. Let me pray with you and show you how to follow Jesus. Many of you uh, attended our new members class last weekend. Part of becoming a member of our church was to be a part of that class. The next part for you is to come forward and let us know that you want to join the church. So when we stand, if you want to be a member of the church, come forward and talk to me about that so we can do that today. Maybe you need to follow through with baptism or maybe you just need to pray. Let's use this time that God has given to us in this time of worship to respond to whatever it is the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Would you stand with me now? Everyone just please stand up now. 
Heavenly Father, I pray over this moment of decision. I pray that each of us would hear the Holy Spirit who's leading us to pray, to be saved, to join this church, whatever it is, Lord. We can't take that step without faith given to us by you. So, Lord, increase our faith, Lord, to respond to whatever it is you're calling us to do today. May the lost be saved. May the hurting come forward for prayer. May those that want to join come forward and and be a part of what we're doing here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.